0: In the beginning, before the first age, there was Geek Top 5! Yay! The official podcast of the Valor and the Sacred Flame. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And you won't believe these five things that just went down. And I guess you don't have to guess because we're about to tell you. (laughs) Coming in at number five, uh, we've got a fresh trailer for Lego Bat... Is it Lego Batman the movie, or is it the Lego Batman movie?
1: That's a good question. I was just calling it Lego Batman.
0: Lego Batman. This, um, not the first trailer, but for some reason, it's not getting the attention it deserves, and I think we're doing a public service announcement by bringing it up. Certainly. This is on the heels of the Lego movie, which came out in 2014, uh, which was way better than it had any right to be.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah. Uh, Chris Pratt, Liz Banks, Will Ferrell, and Will Arnett as Lego Batman.
1: Right? And he definitely became sort of the breakout character of it. Yeah,
0: uh, the, the reason to go see that movie. Uh, very, very obviously, they decided to make a sequel revolving around this character, because he's great. And this trailer... I, well, okay, for starters, again, we talk about this a lot on the show, but the trailers, you really have to watch it to get the full experience. I'm not going to describe to you what happens. But this is Funny Batman. And... I don't know about you, man, I like you know Chris Bale, I like Christopher Nolan, Dark Batman is great, but Funny Batman just... I mean, you know better than me, you're a big Adam West Batman fan, right?
1: I am, and, and Funny Batman is definitely having a, a resurgence right now with this coming to the big screen and the uh, Batman 66, uh, what is it, Return of the Caped Crusaders? That just came out on DVD yeah, and Blu-ray. Which, which is phenomenal, by the way. Right. Very funny stuff. Uh, so... You know, a lot of Funny Batman out there right now, if if you want to find it. There also, a few years ago, there was the Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon, which is also a, a throwback to Funny Batman, and didn't get uh, enough credit, I don't think, at the time. So that's on some streaming services, I'm sure. There, you can find
0: it. Yeah. And you will be. it'll be more popularized again when this comes out. Uh, it's coming out next year. Um, I don't think we have an actual date yet. I think it's still sort of 2017.
1: Yeah, it'll probably be out... Uh, Sooner than than you'd expect, I'm sure it'll be uh, you know in your homes uh, before long, mm-hmm. and and in theaters, and uh, it's got a, a hell of a cast, uh, considering it's it's a Lego Batman movie. It's like you, I I would if you'd told me that this was coming out five years ago, I would have expected a straight to DVD, real low budget sort of affair. But we got Will Arnett as Batman, Michael Sarah as Robin. So not only are they two Canadians, but they're also from Arrested Development, so a reunion there. Yeah, yeah, right. We got some Canadian Cape Crusaders. Uh, Zach Galifianakis is the Joker.
0: Now he, uh, I know him from Between Two Ferns, but he's done.
1: He's the, probably best known from the Hangover movies.
0: Ah, okay. And, he's the guy who's carrying the baby or the monkey, depending which one you're watching. I think. Yes. Okay.
1: And uh, yeah, so and, and they've also got uh, Rosario Dawson as Barbara Gordon and Rafe Fines or Ralph Fines, depending how you want to pronounce it. <laughs> he he is Alfred, and it's like the one. Easily one of the classiest guys to ever play Alfred. But, I mean, they have no shortage of classy guys playing Alfred these days. But, again, for a Lego Batman movie, yeah. that is some top-notch quality acting for Alfred. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The director of it uh, is probably best known for working on Robot Chicken. So he's got uh, he's got a lot of cred with this type of, of comedy. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited. Are you excited? <laughs> Let's go see it.
0: I'm very excited. Um, on the off chance that you didn't watch the Lego movie... I just, I, which I keep saying these days, because I feel like some of these things have just become cultural touchstones. But I mean, this is very much a movie designed to sell toys, so that's the deal. But it, it but they added, a, they added enough to it to make it its own movie, like, as opposed to something like the Transformers, which. You know, when it first came out, it was really just a toy commercial. Um, The Lego movies all take place. It's it's animated, computer-generated stuff, and it's all the Lego minifigs in the world of Lego. And they have, like, they come from their different franchises. There's the Lord of the Rings Lego and the Batman Lego, etc. But they're also aware that they can sort of take apart things in their environment and build it back up. It made for a really funny, really interesting movie, and it did kind of make me want to buy more Lego. Uh, so by doing the Lego Batman, it's so yes, it's set in Gotham City, quote unquote, but in a Gotham City, like you know, in a world where you, you can you take buildings apart and rebuild them into crazy tanks, or in this case, bat tanks, bat vehicles, bat whatever. Yeah. It's, uh, so there's obviously, that uh, you cannot go anywhere with your tongue except in your cheek.
1: And I feel like a lot of this uh, uh, Lego comedy stuff got started with the Lego video games, like the Star Wars Lego games and the Harry Potter and stuff like that. They're all very silly and don't take themselves seriously. I don't know. It's not what I would have originally expected from Lego. I was Lego always seemed to be sort of a serious thing. You, you built it. There were these plans. It was like Ikea for kids. It's all very... Uh, it, but you can also build stuff with your imagination. But this... Very tongue-in-cheek pop culture comedy is is a nice touch, and it makes it uh, makes it very modern and, and relevant, and, and that's why it's such a big deal right now.
0: It looks like it's going to be a ton of fun. I love I love the characters. I love the cast. Like the way they, they interact. There's just the way they communicate. The way they talk to one another is a blast. It's going to be a riot. Looks like it's going to be great. Number four, um, <laughs> bit of a departure from Bat- you know, superheroes and Lego. <laughs> Um, so we are apparently getting a new illustrated Tolkien book next year. Yeah, um, new just... in quotes.
1: So this but... is uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. This is his uh, his legacy. Now is just every few years we get a new piece of work from his archives. This is the creator of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, and uh, it seems that he has like a never ending supply of posthumous work.
0: Yeah, he, I guess, when he passed away, so much of his notes, like, a big thing that the Lord of the Rings and, you know, all the Middle-earth world is known for is its world-building. So, like, there's the story of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, but Tolkien put so much effort into the languages and the myths and the cultures of these people. Just acres and acres of notes that his son, Chris Tolkien, has been sort of trying to assemble into comprehensible narratives, to get out to people who love this world so much. And that's where you get things like the Silmarillion and the Children of Hurin and Unfinished Tales, all that stuff. Some of them aren't necessarily great reads. You know, the, the Silmarillion sometimes reads like an atlas or... Like those really long passages from the Bible where, and this person beget that person, who beget that person, who beget that person. <laughs> but there's also some really cool stories in there. Um, one of the cool stories that comes through is the story of Baron and Luthien, uh, which is a cornerstone of the fables and mythology in the Lord of the Rings canon.
1: Right, it's referenced by Aragorn in relation to his relationship with Arwen, right? Right, yeah.
0: In the books, when they're at Weathertop, he tells the Hobbits this story, like this myth from his world, and they, of course, see how it applies to him. But it's actually a really cool story. Like These two characters have their own adventures, and this book is going to be covering that. Um, the full story of it is scattered all over the place. Most of it is covered in this book, The Silmarillion, right now, I think some of it is mentioned in the big thick appendix in Return of the King, hmm. um, which is also where they got a lot of the material for the Hobbit movies, and I don't think there's any in an Unfinished Tales. So the point being, it's a neat story, but right now the best place to learn about it is definitely through the Lord of the Rings Wikipedia, Right. which, you know, isn't the most fun way to sit down and read something, and it also doesn't make the Tolkien estate any money. <laughs> so this book is coming out, uh, I think it's going to be June in 2014 to be on the anniversary of of when Tolkien sort of got this idea and started writing it.
1: So it seems to me that this, what they've been putting out lately with these new books, like the Children of Huron, they are just taking sort of segments from the Silmarillion and making them longer and expanding on them. Is at, So I'm not a big talking guy, but you are. Is, is that enough of a selling point? Like, this is a story you've already read, and it's going to be just like a sort of extended version, an extended cut, if you will? Well, it's not even an extended
0: cut so much. Like, don't think of it as, like, a movie being turned into an extended cut. Think of it as, like, some storyboards and some, like, you know, stuff written on a whiteboard in the writer's room that you saw. Right. And now someone's taken that and said, okay, let's make a full story out of it. So, like, The Children of Huron is even more so than Baron and Luthien, is sort of scattered all over the place. Now you can just buy the paperback of the children of Hurin, and it's sort of and it's sort of the Greek tragedy of the Lord of the Rings universe. Like, the, you know, the gods are involved, and nobody's happy, and everybody dies when there's a little bit of incest. It, <laughs> it's, so if you're into Greek myth, that's what that is. But you couldn't get it in, you couldn't experience it as a story. You okay. could just sort of pick up on the plot points. Now it's out there in story form. So they're going to do the same thing with Baron and Luthien, which should be
1: great. So, it seems like Chris Token, the, the son and heir of J.R.R., he has spent the last, what, 40, almost, I guess, getting close to 50 years now, taking his father's work and, and putting it out in these new formats. Is uh, What do you think? Is he doing a good job? I mean, you've been collecting this stuff, and, and is it, are you excited about this? Let me put it that
0: way. I am excited about it. Um... It's tricky, like, th- there's a lot of different reasons to like The Lord of the Rings, and liking it because of the world building, that's a really niche interest. You know, if you like Star Trek because you really liked the movies, and you thought that Riker was very handsome, that's perfectly legitimate. If you're people like us who like Star Trek because of the complex intricacies or the politics of the Romulan Senate... <laughs> Like, that's much more rare. That's the way yeah. we enjoy it, and so we would really like to get lots of extraneous material about that, but that's not sort of the more common way to engage with it. Okay. What I'm trying to do is very politely say, I understand this is a crazy Jesse thing. <laughs> uh, the population of die-hard Middle-Earth fans, you know, who can quote the actual black speech, and know Sindarin and Quenya and stuff, that's a very small percent of the population. I, so in terms of... Is he doing a great job, you know, reinvigorating the franchise and selling it? I don't think that's what he's, in, he's doing it for. They,
1: to be fair, these do seem to sell really well whenever they, they pop up.
0: I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'll have to take your word for it. But, you know, if you win, and if we went on the street and asked ten people if they've read The Silmarillion, you know, I can make a lot of money off you betting that we'll find zero people. Maybe one of them will have heard of it, but they wouldn't really know what it is or how to pronounce
1: it. When I was doing my research about this I, I there was a quote from a review of the Silmarillion where it said that a lot of people are probably going to buy the book and just put it on their shelf to to like next to the Lord of the Rings book just to show that they have it.
0: Right, but they haven't read it. Yeah. There are some really cool parts of the Silmarillion. There's a lot of parts of it that aren't. Right. Um this isn't Chris Tolkien isn't trying to marvel this. He isn't trying to build a world to sell everyone interested in. He just knows that there's a group of people out there, enough of them, that love this world so much, and he's trying to give them everything he can of what his father wanted from it. It's not marketable. It's not saleable. We're definitely not going to see movies of any of these things. Even if Chris Tolkien was on board, which he absolutely is not, Hmm. they couldn't pitch it. Uh, Chris is... I see King Chris like I know him. It's Christopher (laughs) Tolkien. apologies. Um, He loathes the marketing of The Lord of the Rings. He's saying that he, the way he, this is a quote. He says that Tolkien has become a monster devoured by his own popularity and absorbed into the absurdity of our time. The chasm between the beauty and seriousness of the work and what it has become has overwhelmed me. The commercialization has reduced the aesthetic and philosophical impact of the creation
1: to nothing. I mean pretty hardcore it's pretty harsh and i'm i'm sure it's really it really pains him to be saying this stuff from a beautiful a mansion that's being paid for by his father's work and while he sleeps in those plush beds that are, are covered in new line cinemas logos you know i my heart bleeds for him
0: i mean yeah he, he comes across as very well he comes across as very old and out of touch right like yes the lord of the rings movie's do not, like, they have oh, the same story as a lot of the books. They do not have the same feeling. The Lord of the Rings books are full of poetry and, like, artistic, and philosophy. And, like, artistic venues. And it's a very slow read. None of that makes a translation to a movie because you can't do a movie that way. Right? Yeah, they're two very different products. And this one is so close to his heart. That he can't, he can't deal with it. He doesn't want to have it. So, circle it back. We've gone off on a bit of a tangent. But, yeah, it's not his interest, really, to propagate these works and make them popular. He's just bringing to, other, to, to the people, to the people, right. what he can.
1: Well, let's move on to, uh, to, to something completely different to steal from Monty Python. Self-driving cars.
0: Self-driving cars. It's like Omicron. <laughs> Do you remember the David Bowie game?
1: I do, but nobody else does
0: okay it's fine. <laughs> self-driving cars the the, the one we point the, the link we brought up on the website is that on it was october 20, October 20th, they had an 18 wheeler tractor trailer that drove itself to make a big delivery of Budweiser, yeah, which is hilarious.
1: drove from like one end of Colorado um, to the other.
0: Yeah, but it's on a bigger scale it's that self-driving cars are on the road, and it looks like they're starting to work. In this case, the company, this is a company called Auto. They're actually owned by Uber at the moment.
1: Auto spelled O-T-T-O. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Yeah. So clever. Listen, they're more clever than you.
0: (laughs) They make self-driving cars. (laughs) They're
1: clever at making cars. I don't think they're clever at naming themselves.
0: All right. Apparently, Geek Top 5 does not approve of their name. (laughs) But these are people, like, the people who work here come from Google, Apple, Tesla. Like, these are smart people. And to be fair, these are also all companies that are doing their own. the like Google is making itself driving cars. Yeah. Tesla has rolled out its autopilot program for its cars. They're on the road right now. Uh, we, are, we are on the verge of a world where cars can start driving themselves. And on a technological level, that's interesting. Um, the way, like, for, in this case, the way this truck works... So it has two cameras for lane detection. It has, a, light, it has like a laser radar, LIDAR sensor to, like, build a 3D environment of what's around it so it's aware of what's happening. It's got sensors to detect stuff on the road, and it's got a GPS to help it figure out where it is. All this stuff working together so that it can just, it knows what's around it, it knows how to avoid it, it knows how to be safe, and it drives on its own. The, the truck, when it was making this run, it was actually shadowed by, a, I think it was a cop, And he was saying it was really refreshing to see a truck that stayed in its lane the whole time.
1: (laughs) But, I mean, that's one of the interesting things about this is that it's only driverless, or at least for this haul, it was only truly driverless when it was on the highway. They're not comfortable with it in cities or or in smaller road settings because it's a, a bit more unpredictable. You know, people can jaywalk, cars suddenly slow down, people make illegal turns. On a highway, it's pretty straightforward, comparatively anyway. And so it made it that that made it the more, uh, uh, you know, safe and, and viable way to test this technology.
0: Exactly. Um, and that's the other side of the you know, technologically speaking, we all work with computers all the time, and we all know that sometimes they crash for no reason. Yeah. I use that term intentionally because <laughs> that's really scary when you're thinking of self driving cars. If it's suddenly blue screens. So it's a tough call. Technology apparently is getting better. Google was doing their like they had you know, eyes on their car for a long time. I think it finally had its first accident, and it was the other
1: car's fault, not yeah. the self-driving car. I mean, that's the the complaint I hear all the time about self-driving cars is oh, they're dangerous. Anything could happen with them. But in reading, researching for this article, one site said there there were four hundred thousand truck accidents, just truck accidents in the United States last year. I mean, are we doing a much better job than the computers are? Right.
0: Statistically, it's looking like the answer is no. It's hard to tell because, you know, tons of people have cars and very few self-driving computers do. But on the whole, their driving records beat human driving records all hollow. Not even
1: close. And the more of them there are, the safer it'll be. It's like, a, a computerized car is far less likely to be unpredictable than uh, a human-driven car. And so the fewer human cars that are on the road, the better. Yeah, the
0: more predictable traffic is. And even then, they can talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Humans and cars don't talk to each other. They roll like you know, they don't roll down the window. I guess now everyone's power windows. But yeah. now they lean out the window and they shout at each other yeah. and honk their horns.
1: And then they'll stop suddenly and come out with a baseball bat or something. Yeah. You know, you, there's... That won't happen with a computer car. They can't get upset. On the technological level, that's
0: all starting to come together neatly. I'm 100% back that. On the social level, it's a more interesting argument. There's So f- a lot of the things that people have problems with this, you know, the first and most obvious one is that a lot of truckers are going to lose their jobs. And then a lot of Uber drivers are going to lose their jobs. Uh, there's a lot of people whose job it is to take a vehicle and take it somewhere else. Now in the sort of sci-fi Arthur C. Clarke Star Trek version of the world, that's a good thing. That means all these people who used to have to do manual labor jobs are now freed up to apply themselves to, like, philosophy and art and stuff. But that's not how the real world works. The real world it works where a lot of people have trouble getting jobs and they take what they can get. And if that job is going to be replaced by a robot, that's a scary
1: thing. It is, but, I mean, on the other side, uh, every job has, can be, has been computerized on some level. Like, there are entire jobs that have been uh, eliminated on uh, uh, factory floors of building these cars. They're all robots doing a lot of that work now. Which
0: is why you have now a lot of factory towns that are full of poverty. That's like true, it's, The entire it... town goes out of business. Now, the other thing that's important, and this one is finally starting to get a lot of traction as people are paying attention, is sort of the, the self-driving cars version of the trolley problem or the iRobot problem. Where the short, short version is: if an automated car has to decide who to kill, who does it choose? Right. Which sounds spooky, but I mean, but, but hear me out. Like a picture: so, you know, so like a kid runs out into the road. The self-driving car can swerve and not hit the kid, but it'll crash into a post and kill the person riding in the car. Or it can protect the person riding in the car, which means it can't swerve and run over and kill the kid. That is a very difficult decision for human beings to make. And if you're going to program a car to do it, it means you have to make a decision for every instance of that decision. And on a human level, that's not something that we can do. That kind of situation is one of those things where just what, what in the moment you have to make a judgment call.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you can't program judgment calls. You have to program rules. So who's going to program that card to say no? In this situation, it has to kill a child.
1: I don't know. And it's it's
0: yeah. There's no and listen. I'll I'll we'll shortcut you. There's no right answer. Sci-fi geeks have know about this thing for a long time, because this, this tends to be the thing that comes out in a lot of, like, AI development things, like what separates us from computers. Right. Um, not in the book I, Robot, but in the later books in that sort of series that deal with this. And in Will Smith's I, Robot movie, that was the big plot point. That's why he doesn't trust robots. Right. Was, he, like, the robot had to choose to save Will Smith or the little girl, and it chose to save him. Because there's some things that just don't make logical sense, but that we do as people. And you can't program a machine to do that. At least not yet. Self-driving cars, they're not just coming, they're here. And we're figuring out how to work right now. You're going to be seeing a lot of them soon. Moving on to number two.
1: uh, Speaking of killing people. (laughs) (laughs) The League of Assassins is uh, back on Arrow. And uh, they're bringing with it the more famous of uh, Ra's al Ghul's daughters, Talia al Ghul. Now, please translate that, Jesse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Talia al Ghul... Uh, More casual Batman fans will remember her from uh, The Dark Knight Rises, from the third Chris Nolan movie, uh, where she was sort of played by the delightfully named Marion Cotillard.
1: (laughs) I don't think that's how she pronounces it, but I I will go with it. I, I looked it up,
0: and I got to one of those, you know, it says like the pronunciation key, and then there's a bunch of like eldritch runes, but that thing you can click that says listen? Yeah. That's how it's pronounced. All right. It's rad. Um, <laughs> she was in. She was in there in in, the, in those three movies. Liam Neeson played Ra's Al Ghul, the head of the assassins, and she was his daughter and was out for revenge. In the comics, pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his daughter and she's out for revenge, but she also is in love with Batman. Yeah, because he's Batman.
1: She's a bit of a gray character. Yeah.
0: So sometimes she's good, sometimes she's bad, but. She's got a real thing going for Batman, so sometimes they can work together when need be.
1: One of the biggest developments with that character is uh, she has Damian Wayne, who is her and Bruce's child, and, and he becomes Robin in, in some of the more recent comics. That's probably not going to happen on, on uh, Arrow this season, mm-hmm. or probably ever, but uh, it's cool. It was always, you know, I, I'm not a big Arrow fan, but I, I thought it was interesting that when they brought the Ra's al Ghul storyline in, they they went with... Nissa, the sort of more... The uh, nobody cares, Al yeah, Ghul? Yeah, she's yeah. She's another daughter, like a half-sister of Talia, and she's from uh, a more recent era of the comics. And they brought her in, she and she's, she's also pretty gray, where I think sometimes she works with the Arrow crew, sometimes against them. So... Uh, the other thing about this casting is that they they haven't really said whether she's going to be in flashbacks, because like, Arrow always has these flashback storylines that happen throughout right. the season, so it's not clear yet if she's just going to be in the flashbacks or if she's going to impact the the present day storyline as well.
0: Which is especially interesting because, I mean, one good reason to make Nyssa in the show and not Talia is that Talia's hanging out with Batman,
1: yeah. who's like senior
0: year Arrow. Yeah. Whereas
1: Arrow is like the junior year, <laughs> you know. Like, you know that's how we see it, but I'm sure Arrow fans would uh, well, but so disagree. The
0: thing is, so if they're going to play Talia Al Ghul at like the normal story that comes up with her, it, she would have to fall in love with the Arrow in this case instead of Batman, right? Which I mean, I mean, it, you know, again, it seems like she could do better, like, <laughs> but but seriously,
1: <laughs> uh, are they going to play that story? And does it make any sense? The the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet is who has been cast to play her that is uh Lexa Doig who is uh one of those sci-fi TV staples who's been on Stargate and sort of most notably uh, she was the sort of holographic uh personification of the ship Andromeda.
0: Yeah, on the Andromeda Ascendant with Kevin Sorbo.
1: Yeah, Kevin Sorbo.
0: Yeah, that that show premiered in the year 2000 when I was 15 and they had this Super powerful sci-fi warship that was also this beautiful, olive-skinned woman <laughs> that uh, <laughs> occupies a very important part of my teenage years. Um, now, Alexa Doig is a blast. She's actually, she's married to Michael, at least she was married to Michael Shanks, Daniel Jackson on SG-1. Uh, also yeah, sho-
1: he's on uh, Saving Hope now. I think.
0: Yeah. Also showed up as, like, a crazy warship on Andromeda, and so they had oh. a really cool thing like they were in an lo-
1: Evil twin thing. No, it was oh. like they were in
0: love. Okay, but like he was a crazy warship and she was a good guy warship. But they had this past together. Also, the fact that the warships were people, like that feelings and emotions, was right. a really cool part of that show. But yeah, Lexa Doig has a lot of sci fi Canadian chops behind yeah. her. It's it's like as far as I can tell there's there's a certain kind of Canadian sci-fi it's all in Vancouver. Yeah. where they constantly re- like rely on the same cast playing essentially the same characters over the course of show to show to show to show to show. To show. She's definitely one of the best out of there. Now Casting her as Talia al Ghul is a nice departure, because she's not going to be a robot or a warship or a, you know, Stargate explorer or whatever. It's, it's more of a fantasy thing than she's a sci-fi going to be a
1: crazy assassin. it's going to be a
0: crazy assassin who's possibly in love with the Arrow or Batman.
1: Or any number of the other characters on the show.
0: Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, Talia al Ghul is often defined by her romance in the comics, which right. is a shame, but... I mean, besides that, like, she doesn't really have... Like, she's not really a superhero or supervillain. I mean, like, she's an
1: assassin, or she's a ninja, she's... Yeah, I mean, she, she... She doesn't really do anything cool. She takes over for Ra's al Ghul sometimes, depending on the storyline, and she's sort of the head of the League of Assassins, but that usually is sort of short-lived, and Ra's returns, and Damien's born, and all this tends to happen. I just want to mention one quick thing related to the Arrowverse stuff, as it's called, or the DCW... Uh, apparently Cyborg Superman will be appearing on Supergirl. <gasps> yeah. Ooh. Now, one of the... So th- this was a bit of a tease for you back in the day because you really like Cyborg Superman, and uh, the Martian Manhunter's secret identity is Hank Henshaw, which is mm-hmm. should be Cyborg Superman's. You
0: can hear more about this in our DCW Roundtable episode. If you haven't been keeping up with the show, please feel free to double back.
1: But one of the more recent developments in the comics is that uh, the new Cyborg Superman is a cyborg version of Supergirl's father. Now, yeah, okay. one of the cool things on the show is that uh, her adopted father on the, the show is played by Dean Cain, who was Superman on The New Adventures of Lois and Clark, and he's supposedly dead on the show. So if they brought him in as Cyborg Superman, oh my god, Is there no more perfect casting ever
0: that's actually pretty great
1: so that's just internet rumor right yeah. now but it's so cool of, but, and
0: because of the constant crossovers between this show we're probably going to see some of that bleeding into arrow and some of arrow bleeding over into supergirl what a fun universe yeah <laughs> cool stuff now that being said DCW is great mhm but the DC universe the the
1: cinematic universe if you will
0: brings us to our number
1: 1 <laughs> oh man did you guys see the wonder woman trailer <laughs> We talked about the first Wonder Woman trailer, and it was great. The second one is just as good, if not better. So much cool stuff happening in there. We get little uh, a little more info about what's going on and what the relationships will be. Just can't wait. It looks great. There's, there's not a ton for us to say about it other than, wow... What a good looking trailer! I mean, it plays up on the strengths
0: of the first trailer. We see a lot of the World War One world. We oh, see, and all-
1: I love the shots with the World War One biplanes. Something about that just ah looks so cool.
0: Very crimson skies. Yeah, fan. Uh, we see a lot of her being a strong woman in a traditionally man's world, and she plays it very well. Yeah, you know, Gal Galdo, she's got it spot on. We also get some hints of what might be going on more in terms of the superhero world. Uh, like, really, at first glance, all you see in the trailer is that the bad guys are the Germans. Yeah. Um, but we know that you know, Wonder, yeah, Wonder Woman's rogues gallery is essentially the Greek myth, right? Like, the, the big one is probably Ares. Yeah. Um, and Wonder
1: Woman's rogues gallery is a little all over the place, but these days, Ares is definitely the number one villain. But uh, one of the, the things that ha- has come out, or it's all but confirmed, I think, is that the there's woman who has sort of a face mask on yeah, yeah. she's going to be dr poison i don't actually know anything about but she's an old old school uh wonder woman villain and has m- had reappearances here and there but
0: you know this comes from we see like we see them talking about how horrible war is then we see shots in this trailer it looks like they're experimenting with a like a gas weapon yeah and we see thinking. it actually breaking a gas mask like, even gas masks can't stand against our gas so that suits uh dr poison thing uh, on the other hand another female adversary is Circe. right um so it could also be her, but either way, we see this mysterious woman a couple of times with these weird sort of prosthetic face things in place.
1: They're really cool, really creepy.
0: Yeah, so that's, she's definitely involved somehow. We also get a few shots of, I guess, of the German, like, a colonel or a, like just a leader, a military figure, and at least one point, he seems to be sort of in a melee fight with Wonder Woman. Hmm. So if you're fighting Wonder Woman hand-to-hand, chances are you're not just some guy. Yeah. So is that Ares? Because, like, we know Ares' big deal is war, and he, gathered, like, from, he gathers strength from war the same way Loki gathers strength from chaos in, in the Marvel verse. Right. So, oh, and, and in mythology, important to note, these are, you know, <laughs> real fake gods. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so there's a lot of talk, like, so is Ares sort of involved in the German side of this thing somehow? Is that what it's going to be? They haven't really focused on it, which I find really interesting. This is all very... Like, this is us nerds going frame by frame trying to find the holes. But if you just watch it, it looks like it's just a World War One movie, but with this cool female superhero in it. Yeah. And Captain Kirk.
1: <laughs> now, I will say, uh, uh, there were a couple of times where I thought maybe there was an over-reliance on computer graphics. Uh, I'm a little leery of that these days, mm. but... I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt. It looks really cool. Even the the CG shots, they pull them off pretty well. I'm 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 excited. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Another thing that sort of has my my spider sense tingling is the last DC movie that came out was Suicide Squad, and most of those trailers were pretty great too. So true. I, I'm trying to temper my enthusiasm a little bit. A lot. Unfortunately,
0: you're right, and I don't want to think about it, but a lot of the DC un, movie universe is covered in not-good signs. Yeah. Everything about Wonder Woman looks like it's going to be great. Maybe this could be the one that they finally managed to break the, the streak. It could be like the Chicago Cubs of the
1: <laughs> DC movies. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not exactly a hundred years, but yeah, they have, uh, haven't knocked one out of the park yet. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But they're
0: trying to set up this Justice League movie and they have to have They're one Everybody's shooting it it's but, crazy but before they get there they have to have at least one good movie you know years from now when you say oh before you watch justice league to get familiar with the universe you have to watch and it's like what are you going to recommend you're not going to recommend suicide squad you're not going to recommend superman or bat versus supes
1: i think you're you're even being optimistic in th- saying that someone might actually want to watch a Justice League movie. Like, at this point, there's not a lot that's making me optimistic about uh, the quality of that Man. movie.
0: All that aside, you're right. The trailers can be deceiving, but the trailers for the Wonder Woman movie are really good. Mm-hmm. And we have been sorely lacking a character like Wonder Woman for a long time. This like This movie really deserves to be a great movie. Definitely. Can they do it? We will have to see. In any case, that was the news for this week. You've been listening to Geek Top 5. We'll be right back with our special guest segment. So please don't go anywhere.
1: Welcome back to the second half of Geek Top 5. This week we've got an amazing Lord of the Rings expert here to give us a rundown on the top five members of the Fellowship. There's Kate Parker. Hello. Who's actually from Middle-earth? Uh, I don't know how honest and accurate that is, but it's a claim that's been made often.
2: I live in a town called Middle. Well, I did.
1: You Middle. live in a town called Middle and it's in Shropshire.
2: Yes. Ooh. And I am short like a hobbit without the hairy feet.
1: So, I <laughs> have to take your word for that. I don't I don't think there's a lot of argument here. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm uh yeah. I'm the least Tolkien, uh, uh, I don't know the word, the, I'm the, the least into the Lord of the Rings of anyone in this room at the moment, so I am going to uh, just make sure we're all on the same footing here. Now, my understanding is the Fellowship, that's the group that gets together in the first movie or book, and uh, they they are the team that's going to take the ring and throw it in the volcano, right? It
0: is an insultingly simplified <laughs> way of doing it.
1: So this team, there's nine guys in it. It's the Justice League of Fantasy. Uh, the the members are Frodo, Samwise, Gandalf, Legolas, Gimli, Aragorn, Boromir, Merry, and Pippin. So you're picking the top five members of this crew, right?
0: And we're focusing on the movies for this list, correct? Yes. All right. I will try to restrain myself from pointing out all the tiny little differences. Yeah. All right. So who's who's a, so number five, the fifth best member members. Of the Fellowship.
2: Well, they come as a team. It's Merry and Pippin.
1: Okay, so they're hobbits? Yes. You knew they were <laughs> hobbits. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm trying to prompt here. I'm trying to get us uh, going. So so uh, tell us about Merry and Pippin. What's their deal?
2: They're little. They're funny. They're cute. They get taken away by the Ents. And they kind of save the day at the end of it. They turn the Ents against Saruman.
0: So I, so it's like so it appeals to you that it's sort of a fish out of water thing? Pretty or? much
2: so. They are only interested in mushrooms at the start. Then they get taken by the tree men. And then they get sad because they can't help their friends. So they take the Ents to Saruman.
1: So Saruman is like the, the bad guy. He's, there's Sauron who's like the big bad guy and Saruman is like the...
2: Saruman is the white wizard. Well, he was. He, he's Count Dooku.
1: Right. He's the uh, the somewhat awkwardly named... Character, I'd always threw me that there was Sauron and Saruman. I was like, he couldn't couldn't have called him Bill or something just <laughs> to change it up a little. Makes it easy to remember. I, I it makes it easy to confuse. Anyway, so Mary and Pippa, So the Fellowship. There's all these badass warriors and stuff, and then these couple of hobbits. Why? How come they get to be part of the team? Why didn't they get yeah. sent back home with their mushrooms?
2: They kind of stumbled into the meeting uh. when Elrond was forming the uh, Fellowship.
1: So do they? So they they make a big contribution to the team, right? Like the the Ents are the the big old trees that that help kill the orcs, right? And the orcs are like they the foot come. soldiers of Sauron.
2: They mm-hmm. take down Saruman's economy, because he was forging all these weapons in high and they come along. They flood the. It's in the second movie, right? At the end, they come in. They flood the workshop. Pretty much puts an end to Saruman and his dealings with the big bad. Okay. The world and then
0: afterwards like they both become knights and stuff like there's a whole
2: and Pippin sings you know, his lovely song which is depressing as hell
0: that's true also you ever notice it overlaps with the theme song from Dragon Age Inquisition Yes. it's does. like the exact same notes very Aww. strange neither here nor there <laughs> so uh, no, like they're like they're nobodies I mean even in terms of hobbits they're nobodies but they, they learn and they grow and they develop. They they, they, they do all that. They both end up. You know, the, you know when they're riding back home at the end of the when they're all wearing their fancy oh, tabards and chain mail and stuff. It's like they both come a really long way. I can I can I can understand them being on the top of someone. You know. Sure,
1: sure. I, I so would you say that of the the members of the fellowship, maybe they have the most character development, or am I stretching there? Like eh, they,
2: we'll see. Number two.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Saving
2: save on that one for number two.
1: All right, but so mostly you're into it, sort
0: of like like the comic relief and the
2: pretty much, yeah.
1: Their their accomplishments aren't as important as their uh, their hilarity,
0: being so delightful. Yeah,
1: yeah,
2: being obsessed with mushrooms.
1: Okay, well, shall we move on to uh, number four on the list?
2: The glorious blonde man of Legolas.
0: Now, Uh, yeah, now everybody puts Legolas at number one. I'm so jazzed that he's
1: not. <laughs> why, would, why would you put him in I mean, I can understand, like, when we were going to high school and, and these movies were coming out, Orlando Bloom suddenly was on Every Girl's Locker, and, and I can understand his high ranking from that perspective, from being, like, the hottest guy on the, the team, but does he really bring that much to, to the to the fellowship? Like, is he, how important is he to the, to the team on, like, a nitty-gritty level?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I just like him because he's hot. Oh, okay.
1: All right. All right. <laughs> so, were you one of those girls that had the Orlando yeah. Bloom on
0: the locker?
2: yeah, um, more Aragorn. Really? Yeah, I could appreciate Legolas with his, you know, good looks, but no, Aragorn.
0: So, and all the other stuff, the the skiing off of
1: elephants. That was and awesome. All the...
2: Taking down the big tusked elephant, and it's like that still only counts as one.
1: <laughs> now I know we're we're mainly focusing on the movie stuff here, but. How much elephant tusk surfing is happening in uh, in the books? It's maybe not
0: that laid out, but in terms of overall like his overall awesomeness, that's a common theme in the books. The elves are all supermen, right? Uh, they're faster, they're stronger, they're they're smarter. They wear nicer clothes, which is a surprisingly big deal. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, but I want to draw. Like, I want to hear more. Like, so he's number. F- like because he's so ca- he he gets portrayed as being so capable and so beautiful and so smart and like
2: he is, but he's also an elf. That's got to be standard fare for a prince of the forest. So,
0: <laughs> so you figure like the bar is like is that high? It's
2: really high, so he can't really be that much higher when it compares to the hobbits that have overcome being boring old farmers. He is born to fight. Well, be of noble blood, but still, he's you know he's highly refined.
0: Okay and and so is that kind of like cheating?
2: Kind of, it's like a Klingon going to war. You know they're going to win.
1: <laughs>
2: it doesn't it know. Do
1: it very often, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but but so Legolas you're saying it's like uh, he doesn't have a as a, anywhere to go. Like he starts off good and he ends good and there's yeah. not you know, he just lives up to expectations. He doesn't exceed anyone's expectations.
2: No, other than his friendship with the dwarf. He doesn't really He's good. He's still good. He ends good.
0: But then, so why is he better than Marion and Pippin? Like, why is he higher on the list? Because he's
1: hot. beautiful.
2: Yeah. Because he's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah.
0: <laughs> ah, yes, this this concept I don't understand has plagued me my entire life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's why you're a man.
0: Well, yeah, listen, I can recognize a handsome man when I see one. I don't know about Orlando Bloom, but... Wow.
2: You're only good looking with the blonde wig on. Sorry.
1: Ah, that might do it, you yeah. Know. So... Good. Uh, he's he's an awesome fighter, but so what does he actually contribute to the team? Is he just there because he can chuck a couple arrows, or does he does he actually save the day at any point? Would the story be any different if you took him out of it?
2: Other than some kick ass scenes, I don't know if he actually.
1: Yeah, see, that's my big Legolas argument. It's huh.
0: like like he it's that he's kind of like the tank, on maybe not even the tank, but like like
2: he's just the rogue.
0: All, all he can really beautiful blonde tank. All he contributes is eye candy and you know. Fight numbers, like I feel like he doesn't really—he like, doesn't add anything. There is isn't like it's not like he's giving like ancient elven wisdom or anything. He just hangs around and he's sarcastic to the dwarf, and otherwise he just, he's just an elf. Yeah, yeah. I mean maybe that's it—that he just is so, so so shallow, so two-dimensional compared to the others. Yeah, okay. there's
2: no character growth. He just is, him.
0: Hmm. But him still being beautiful is still enough to get him onto there. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, there's unrealistic expectations that you're setting for. It.
1: <laughs> All right, now now going <laughs> to the complete other end of the spectrum from from the most beautiful character to number three on your list, who is Gimli. Gimli. So he's <laughs> he's the dwarf, son of Gluin. Oh, son of Gluin
0: gets a lot of points for being John Rhys Davies. Yes,
1: John Rhys Davies, fantastic. Yes. Uh so so he's the dwarf. So what distinguishes uh a dwarf from a hobbit for, for a noob like me?
0: Uh they're two distinct species. Hobbits are more closely related to men mm. than the others. The, the, okay, we don't need to go into the Silmarillion, but the dwarves are various like they're a different group, they're small, they're associated with the earth and caves Normal and and like the ground.
1: Normal feet.
0: They don't have hobbit feet.
1: Okay. Uh so what what's so, great about Gimli? Like what does he bring to the table? He's not beautiful. Yeah. That's also, what he brings to the table.
2: He is the tank. He is right. the tank, pretty much. He has an epic axe, awesome helmet, <laughs> and they and he takes them into the mines of Moria.
1: So what's <laughs> what's important about the mines of Moria? That's where Gandalf dies. Oh, right, 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 right. right. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> <'Cause>, wait, <laughs> on that interpretation, you're saying that Gimli's number three on
0: this list because he killed Gandalf.
2: Let's <laughs> <laughs> <to> be fair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He gets rid of the old man, who in turn is turned into Gandalf the White, who actually becomes epic in his own right. He's not on the list. Oh, man. But yeah, if they hadn't gone into that mine, Gandalf wouldn't have died and told them to fly, but you can't really pick that up when he's falling off the mountain.
0: But he's got to have some redeeming qualities of his own, besides unintentional wizard fratricide.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He has epic dialogue with Legolas.
0: That's true. That relationship is a riot. Yeah, and especially
2: when they're fighting... Now, like,
0: how
1: much of that is is in the book? A surprising
0: amount. Yeah. The the thing with like counting the kills, having the competition, that's in the book. It um, Gimli is portrayed as a little more incompetent in the movies for hmm. comic relief. Okay. Like, he can't keep up with them, they're running and stuff. That's not in the books. I'm sensing some but serious
1: heightism here. It's like, the taller you are, the more competent you are. I, the, the hobbits are the heroes, I mean... I guess so, but they're, they're like, Mary and Pippin are, 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 like, stumbling their way through things, through... Well, again, through that another.
0: doesn't necessarily translate to the books. And sure, I, sure. I know we're focusing on the movies, <laughs> but, you know, Mary in particular, like, Mary in the book, Mary's the clever one. Like, right. they're at Rivendell. He's studying all the maps. He's coming up with the plan. Like, this is how we're going to get there. Hey, uh, good then, for you, Mary. And, and the movies, he and Pippin are kind of more of just like. Oh you, it's, like it's, it's like they took characters out of a bad boy's. Bad boys, but like a buddy cop. <laughs> you know, it just is the silly. They become much more silly in the movie.
1: And then it seems like when they're out of the picture, suddenly Gimli becomes the the oh. comic relief. So it's like. That, he's gone, so next shortest person Then he goes, <laughs> next shortest person Is the comic relief I don't know how I feel about that but So Gimli got a huge axe, that's his thing he's, He axes people questions Whereas uh, yeah, yeah,
0: Really? Yeah, that's, so, all the jokes in the world sorry, that's, that's the one you had to...
1: Legolas, Legolas has a bow and arrow uh,
0: Okay, but so then how? why is he higher than Legolas? <laughs> he,
2: and, has a, he has a good character arc He's so selfish, he wants to go to the mines of Moria He finds his uncle is dead And then the cave troll comes along and he's so sad. <laughs> and then he kills everyone and then he so, help, and he's still really sad. And then he goes to the elves and he makes friends with the elves.
1: And he's less sad. And he's less sad. Okay, so his yeah. Eric is from sad to happy. Yeah. Well, from
0: selfish yeah. to sad to obsessed with Cate Blanchett. Yes. Uh, okay. I mean, she, I mean, you can't blame, you can't blame him. him. can't blame him. Um, can't
2: blame him. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> <you know>. Really?
0: <laughs> really? She doesn't... Uh...
2: No, no, Arwen. Hmm. Oh, no. Oh, I'm, not even mm. Arwen. Miranda Otto.
0: That's... Aeowyn. Yeah,
2: Aeowyn. Yeah, Kick
0: yeah. ass. Not a member of the Fellowship, though. No. So no, we're on no, a right. tangent. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's a whole different ranking. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, so I guess, so as opposed to the two dimensionness of, of I don't Legolas. I think
1: we could do a top five women in this movie no, franchise. Because there's three. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, never mind. Off topic. Uh, so, Gimli. Uh, epic beard, epic axe, very good character arc, right? Yeah, More so than, cool. than Legolas. Uh, so that's that's pretty good, yeah, pretty solid. Uh, how does he end up by the end of the movie? Is he what's where does he end?
2: He's great friends with Legolas, and I think they go off gallivanting together.
0: That is how the the story ends. Yeah. So that they're, 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 they're bros for life.
1: That, that, there's something nice about that though, because there's a sort of like. Uh, uh, for lack of a better term, sort of racial tension between the elves and the dwarves, and these two manage to overcome that and just become friends. They, they still, there's still all these political problems behind them, but they appreciate each other. They're
2: on... Murdered together, they're bros for life.
1: Wow, that's yeah. kind of there's something nice about that. Just like us when we uh... yeah when we yeah uh, we can't yeah. record <laughs> that. Stuff. Yeah,
2: don't, don't, be, don't be, recording anything.
1: <laughs> okay, so number two on the list. Where are we where are we going from Gimli?
2: We are going back to the Hobbit of Samwise.
1: Back see, just keeping it short. You see those yeah, short yeah, people, yeah. you're saying they're making fun of them, but they're the important ones. I guess so. At least number two most important. Yeah. Yeah, so. Sam.
2: Good old Sam. He carries He carries Frodo.
1: One of the things I read in doing research of, it, of this is like, uh, it seems like Tolkien considered him the hero of the, the story. He
2: carried, Frodo got the ring because his uncle had the ring. So, you know, he had to carry it. But Sam carried Frodo up that mountain.
1: So it's like Frodo had this burden thrust upon him, but Sam sort of chooses the burden?
2: Yeah, Sam goes with Frodo. Yeah. He's his master. And he follows him, even after Frodo dismisses him for Gollum. He comes back. He saves him from the Spider Queen.
0: <laughs> he is consistently
1: choosing to do all this stuff.
2: He could just go that... home and be like, Screw you, Frodo.
1: So really, he is he's pretty heroic as far as uh, these little hobbit fellows. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of a weird...
0: I guess it's an archaic relationship. Maybe it's more familiar to you than it is to it got, us. But to the master. yeah, no, that's a real thing. Like, all right, the, all right, I did. Yeah, the, like the you know the servant to master relationship, like that has really negative overtones these days. But you know, back in your like this, you, know, you started writing these in like 1914. Yeah, the like that was an understood sort of caste distinction. Just like you're know, the loyal servant. And, like, he's always, it's always Mr. Frodo, it's never just Frodo, like, there's always a return of respect, he's always sort of subservient.
1: Ah, you're making me hate it now, it's like, he's, now it's just, like, this idealized version of a servant...
2: But it, it doesn't turn out that way. Frodo dismisses him and then he comes back in his own right. That's an
1: idealized version of a servant who's like, <laughs> no, you can't quit and I, I won't quit and you can't fire me. I'm with you forever. I don't even care if you're paying me. I'm going to be, I'm with you forever because that's my lot it,
0: in life. It, it's, It's got shades of that Egypt thing. You know, bury the servants with the Pharaoh. It's like right. that, that level of thing. Yeah, it's not a relationship that makes sense anymore in our society. Uh, which is why it gets lambasted so often online, because it the just, way those two characters are so close is just, people are uncomfortable with that these days.
1: I feel like they tone that down a bit in the movies, where they seem more like they're, they're. I, I we keep saying this, but bros, they, they're they like, they're best friends more than a master-servant relationship. In the movies, that's my memory anyway, is that not the case?
2: Yeah, they're probably better to do it as brothers others rather than master and servant. Yeah. It it's wouldn't... still a tinge, but It's
0: still there. He's still calling him Mr. Frodo all the time. He's still carrying all his stuff and Right. You know, and right. like carrying him both literally up the slopes of Mount Doom and throughout yeah. the course of the movie whenever there's Whenever Frodo's yeah. stuck, and Sam's, he's got to push him out of the way of the Nazgul. He's got to keep. Oh, it's good. Everything's going to be fine, Mister Frodo. Shut up and get up, and everything's yeah, going to be take great. By
2: the spider, let me come and find you. Yeah,
0: he does. Although that's a great sequence.
2: Oh, it's great. The, the and then, then he pulls thing. out the ring, and Frodo's like, "Give it to me," and, and, and he, Sam's like, "No."
1: But no, nah, he gives it to him. Yeah. Sam, he gives him the ring. Yeah, following orders like a good servant. I don't know. I'm, You're making
2: I, me regret my number two now. Yeah, I, <laughs> no,
1: me, I was like getting into this when I was researching. I was like, I got to see these movies again. Now I hate it. Oh, no, but that's what I'm
0: saying is that you hate it now. It doesn't make sense nowadays. But in the time when it was written, 100, over 100 years ago, it like, it. like you know, there was a different kind of setup. And that master-servant relationship was a thing. It, we, I guess so. We disapprove of it now, but that's what it represents. And Sam is, again, it sounds bad this way, but he was a great servant.
1: And I guess I, I don't know. I, in my research for this, I also read that when he gets back home, he becomes he, he replants all these trees that were knocked over, like by himself, and he becomes the mayor of uh, the shire for like yeah, seven you know, times like, seven years. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Like, we're not math people. Don't Uh. worry about that. Uh, (laughs) No,
0: in the books, like, yeah, I I think he sort of makes it out kind of the best. Like, the hobbits generally have things going pretty good for themselves. He goes back, he marries Rosie, becomes the mayor, the whole thing. He passes the book down, and it's Sam does everything right over the course of the story. He's always being the good guy, and he's rewarded for it. A lot of the rewards for these characters are like, and then they go to the Undying Lands where their pains finally end. No, he actually got to have a really good life. Everything
1: worked out for him because he's just such a good guy. He managed to stop being someone's servant. (laughs) <laughs> me the wrong way. So, uh should we move on to number 1?
2: Now that we ruined Sam, we should
1: <laughs> I feel like Sam's taking a bit of a tumble down the list. Uh yeah. but yeah, let's go to number 1. Speaking of someone who uh falls from grace.
2: Oh yeah, Boromir.
1: Yeah, putting Boromir at number 1. Oh, I read that. What? I think I heard Jesse yell that. I was at my house. He was at his. I heard it from here.
2: There was a shift in the time fabric. Yeah.
1: Boromir. <laughs> I was like Obi-Wan. Who is the
0: one guy who drops the ball and destroys the Fellowship is your number one member of the Fellowship. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You can't just give me like a quick pass on this. You have to explain this one to me.
2: Okay. Let me, let me compose my thoughts. Anyway. So, yeah. Boromir. Bit of an idiot. Anyway, I'll start from like film two where we find out he has the weight of the world on his shoulders because his dad wants that ring to protect his people. So he's gone into the fellowship, he needs the ring to save his people because the ring corrupts all mankind. So he's already kind of a bit iffy. And the reason for him being number one is the rest of the movies couldn't have happened if he hadn't kind of screwed up. He tried to take the ring, he scattered everybody, so by now they'd probably be dead. The Uruk-hai are hunting them. They have no idea they're being hunted until Boromir tries to take the ring. Frodo goes invisible, sees everything. And then Merry and Pippin get taken. So it spurs on Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli to continue on, even after Gandalf has perished.
0: But doesn't that just make him a plot
2: device and not a character? No, I like it.
1: It also sounds like, you know, I have to equate it to something I'm a bit more familiar with, which is the Game of Thrones stuff. And there are... Characters who you hate in the first Game of Thrones novel and by the later ones, when you start to get more of their perspective, you appreciate them more and you hate them less and you understand what they're doing. It sounds like with this, the more you learn about Boromir, the more you understand why he did what he did. It, does, it sounds like, again, in the movie, he just seems kind of selfish and greedy and like yeah. seems like he knows better than everyone else. But when you learn more about his past and the flashbacks in the other movies, it redeems him a little bit.
2: He does. He has the weight of the world on his shoulders. And then we see Faramir. Poor little Faramir.
1: <laughs> Faramir yeah. is his brother. Not part of the fellowship, so no. can't be ranked here.
2: Oh, no. And he is not. He is just. He's cool, but he is irrelevant to the conversation.
1: Mm. Yeah, so Boromir.
0: You're, I mean, you're not wrong. Like We understand the reasons why he cracks. But he cracks. And this is a group of people who are so dedicated that. Arguably, admittedly, there's room here, but arguably, they, none of them crack except for him, and he just goes like, way off the handle. And we know he's going to from like day one.
2: He's so useful, like he spurs everyone out on after after Gandalf dies. They go and see the elves, and then they leave, and then he cracks. He's the only one that can crack. I mean, look at Aragorn, friggin' ran away. He left his responsibilities. as only until movie three when Elrond is like, "Seriously, dude, buck your ideas up. Here's the sword. Go and kill something." Aragorn's just useless.
0: But by the same token, like Frodo offers in the ring, and he says, "No, I don't want the ring. I'm a good guy. I'm not. I'm not dumb. Everything's good. You keep Who's it." Who's saying this? Frodo gives it to Aragorn. Oh, okay. He's like, "Oh, you can have it." And he's like, "No, no, no. That's that's not. I mean, I'm tempted, but I'm, but I'm I'm a hero." Or Boromir is like, "Give me the ring." <laughs>
2: Give me the ring, give me the ring. But also, Borom is not of noble blood, and he does, like, Aragorn has this long line of all of his ancestors getting I don't like that bones, either, but- man. Yes. The books are getting
1: worse and worse. Like, noble blood makes him better than someone else? I don't like that. That's
2: pretty much it. Borom is dying, he's got, like, three arrows in his chest because he's apparently immortal for some reason. He's like, oh, <laughs> I would have followed you, my brother, my king. That is,
0: that is such a dramatic scene, but it's so, like, he looks like he's about finished, and then he gets point yeah. like, right. four times.
1: <laughs> 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 also, is uh, maybe I'm uh, so in my reading. I also saw at some point that that uh, during these movies, Aragorn's supposed to be like eighty something. Is he magic? Is there some? It's magic kind, he's kind of magic. That's yeah. a very
0: short version. Yes.
1: So does he? So does that help him avoid temptation from the thing? Please let it be magic and not just his noble blood. Like I think right. that
2: somewhere in his descendants, it, he's like part elvish or something.
0: It or myth, myth uh, It's no, he's westernese. westernese. It's from Numenor. Um, no, it's nothing that would add to his like willpower, and neither would noble blood really, except okay. for the just the fact that that's what makes a good fantasy story. Right. Um, he is kind of a magicy guy. The the, the men from New, the. Men, And again, by men, I mean like the human descendants of Numenor are blessed with longer life. Not as long as they're not immortal like the elves, but they hang around for longer. And he's like the last of that group. And that's like, he has that in the movies, he has that conversation with Eowyn. And she finds out and she's like, I didn't, did my grandfather ride with you? And he's like, oh yeah, that's, that's an awkward conversation <laughs> I don't want to have.
1: <laughs> Goodbye.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, so so, so he, he's so yeah, he's kind of magic, but no, by refusing the ring, it's because he's a cool guy,
1: right? Okay. Boromir, not a cool guy, not a cool guy. <laughs> But in some ways more relatable than maybe? He's got human foibles that we can all appreciate. That's the thing. If there were two humans
2: resisting temptation to the ring, it wouldn't be realistic. The ring is mm. meant to be...
1: It's it's like Boromir's a
0: Marvel character and Aragorn's a DC character, right? <laughs> one right. is a relatable character and one is a character that we can look up to. Okay. I like Marvel, <laughs> but I don't know about well, putting a number... like. Oh, man. It's the whole thing. You know, as soon as they talk to the Boromir's a jerk, and he's a jerk, and he's a jerk, and he's a jerk, and and then he screws up and ruins everything, and then he gets turned into a (laughs) pincushion. And then, even when he's dead, he's causing trouble. (laughs) Because Denethor and <laughs> Faramir find look at the body, and Denethir goes. Denethor goes crazy, and it's so like, that's
2: his dad. Yeah, it's yeah. his dad.
0: Okay. The, the guy uh, the cr- in the movie—he's a crazy guy who rules Gondor. Right. He but tries.
2: Denethor hadn't killed himself. Then Aragorn would have mm-hmm. had another civil war in his hands, trying to get his throne back. Yeah, but
0: if Denethor wasn't a lunatic in the first place, but, this
2: is true. Boromir's yeah. kind of screwed anyway. He has a lunatic dad, a soft yeah, he's- and him.
1: Well, Faramir's cooler in the books. But So so are we saying he's number one because the best thing he could do was die?
0: Well he... Because he's relatable. <laughs> he's relatable and he has human flaws, I guess, and I disagree. <laughs> but I am interested to hear that perspective. I mean, certainly he's a more interesting character than Legolas.
1: Right. Who yeah. is is like flawless. Right. Yeah. Pretty much.
0: Yeah. I mean, beautiful bowman.
1: Yeah. And, uh... Wait, so Boromir's beautiful pincushion is a... He's not beautiful! He's... He's not... He's
2: It's seen being... He is beautiful. He's pretty good. I don't
1: know. <laughs> Come on. Okay, so...
0: The, especially in the... Okay, well, yeah, we don't need to focus on this. <laughs> now, so let's... I mean, so yeah, we wanted to talk about this... They're the other members of the fellowship who didn't make it onto your list.
1: Like, probably the three names that, if you were to ask people to name three people from Lord of the Rings, they would say uh, uh, Frodo, uh, Gandalf, and maybe Aragorn. I don't think any of the rest of these guys make the cut as far as being name-brand Lord of the Rings characters. The three other fellowship members don't make the cut for you. Why? Are are they, you know, too popular?
2: No, no, no. Frodo is (laughs) useless. He got given the ring, and he got carried all the way there. Like, He's almost literally. Pretty much, yeah. He finally succumbed to the ring, which I guess is, you know, he did well. But Sam carried him. The rest of the Fellowship protected him. He was going to let Sam die in the lake until I'm pretty sure he got some moral slap in the face. I was like, oh, I probably shouldn't let him die. He might come in useful. <laughs> but what about Gandalf? What about Gandalf? He could have saved them all from the start if he just said, there's some massive eagles. We can fly to Mordor. Uh,
0: no, they couldn't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and this is what else we Ah,
0: oh, that argument drives me nuts. <laughs> it's, the, it's the Superman argument. That's the Why didn't they just call Superman? They're good reason. I mean, for licensing reasons. But no, <laughs> you can't just call these... it's oh, not how it works. It drives me nuts. Is that the only reason why Gandalf's not on the list? You think he's phoning it in?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's always like... Look to the dawn on the third day and I shall be there. Why and he, he was! Why can't he just say that from the start? Be like, dude, I'm a wizard. I got this. And That's then you- they can just... Again. So do you
1: think he could have saved the... He, do you think he could have done it by himself? He like uh, It could have been a fellowship not of by one? by
2: himself, but he could have been like I can see what's coming. We're all gonna like go on a wander. I'm gonna fall down a mountain.
1: And he's gonna be like, oh, and Boromir's not gonna be there for some reason. Maybe just watch <laughs> yeah, out for like, that.
2: I'll look into my magic ball. <laughs> well, oh, Boromir's a pincushion. Oh, hang on. He's, like, not, oh. he's not a
1: fortune teller. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> so you're saying this isn't big, right? It's not like... right. <laughs>
0: He didn't, you know, fly his bird of prey around the sun and come on back. And, just... and, and, and while we're stropping off the ring, I need to get a couple of whales. Long story. No. He's he's just a guy doing his best. Yes, he's a star. He has some powers. But it's he's not a wizard like like a Harry Potter wizard, you know, or a, like, a, like a Warhammer wizard. They're not just throwing fire everywhere.
1: Magic in the Lord of the Rings is very subtle.
2: This is true. I just, it, I don't know. He just, he doesn't do it for me.
1: I mean, how subtle is whispering to eagles? Like, that doesn't seem like... Well, anyway, there's a whole other conversation, Yeah, there's like a I moth, guess. and he's like... Oh, yeah. oh.
2: And then some massive eagle turns up. Like, Why can't he just done that when they were the in want? <laughs> he's like, come here, little moth. go and fetch your friends.
1: I think we're going to give hey. Jesse a heart attack if we keep <laughs> on this. I just... Ah, oh, I, I could feel myself aging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, which is going to be Jesse the Gray soon. Uh, so, okay, now why does an Aragon or Aragorn or whatever make the yeah, cut? There's no
2: room for him. There's
1: no room for him. So he he's like honorable mention. He would have been.
2: He would have been if there weren't so many of them. Right. But... Wow. <laughs> like the, wow. the
0: prophesized king. You know, every like all this stuff revolves around him. He's got like seven different names.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know he has. The,
2: He's like Legolas. He's already epic. He has
0: the magic sword. Yeah. He's the you know the the king without a throne. He's
1: got he gets the girl in the end.
2: He always had the girl. Yeah, well, the before they started.
1: So it's another situation where it's like he's there's not much. Epic. Yeah, the, he he doesn't have much development. He's just like he starts pretty good. He ends great. It's like
2: he's a strider. He's okay. epic. And then he's unveiled as the old king, still epic. Gets to sleep with the girl, still epic. The, the Finishes boy. as king, epic. Right, right. And then he kneels to the Hobbits, still taller than him, still epic.
1: <laughs> Alright, now, I, I have to say, we did give Frodo a bit of a short drift, I mean, he's like the star of the movies, so, but he, you just think he's too whiny? Yeah. he's too passive?
2: I don't know, he's just, he's just bleh. Like, after everything Sam's done for him, he's just like, yeah, I'm off, I'm off with the L's, I'm off to the Undying last Well, I
0: guess he's you know, all mortally wounded, and... You know, had his, the foundations of his belief structures shaken to the core. It's a very...
2: Yeah, but he's still just like, ah, uh, you know what?
1: You, you think he gives up?
2: Yeah, pretty much. He's just like, oh, Sam, I know you did all this for me, but I'm just gonna leave you. Even though, you know, Sam's blatantly in love with him. <laughs> Hidden by Rosie, of course. Indeed.
0: Yeah, uh, this is so much pain. Uh, I will concede Frodo is not the most exciting character, but he has what's... It's kind of the opposite of the hero's journey for him. And a lot of, we talked about some of this in the news segment, a lot of the philosophy and the art and sort of the, the beauty of that world we see through Frodo in a way that doesn't translate well to movies. Mm. And I think maybe that's why a lot of people find you know, Elijah Wood's performance just to be kind of as a whiny kid, because you can't bring across those feelings of the things that, just all these things that happen to him and that just, he has to struggle to overcome it in his own head. Right. Where it's it's basically, at any point, all this pain and horror can stop. But if you do, everything else is ruined. And he doesn't. And he carries it right on until the end. And he falters in the end. But because of his other decisions in the past, it's still okay. And he turns out all right. I find that fascinating. And I think there aren't a lot of characters like that.
1: Well, if they had uh, loyal manservants to carry them <laughs> around everywhere, maybe they would.
0: Man, so... <laughs> It really bugs me. I could tell. This is driving you nuts. Um, Frodo would not be on my top five either, but I do think we're not giving him enough credit. There's a lot... There's more to it. Um, But on the whole, yeah, they're all great. I don't know about Boromir. that's, (laughs) (laughs) That's... That's gonna be a point of contention between the two of us for a long time, I think. But on the whole, yeah, a pretty good look at sort of what makes this such a cool thing. There's so much more behind it. The Lord of the Rings movies are tremendous, but man... If you love them, go read the books. There's so much more story to this. And maybe that doubles back to the Baron and Luthian stuff we're talking about earlier this episode. There's so much to this world. It is such a cool place. It's worth looking into.
1: I'm sure this won't be the last uh, top five list we do for the Lord of the Rings.
0: We could just do a Lord of the Rings podcast, dude. We could. Well, just... You could. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> by, by myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for this podcast, you've been listening to Geek Top 5. Kate, Kate Parker, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. From, from the of middle in the Shire. <laughs> <It's> rad. <laughs> special thanks to you. Special thanks to our crew, to Stella Simeonova, to Ben Sound. And special thanks to all our listeners for tuning in. We are actively soliciting feedback. We want to hear from you. We've got some changes coming up in the show. We want to hear how, uh, how you're going to like it. And we want to hear what you're looking for. There's a million ways to get in touch with us.
1: Yeah, our our favorite way would be email. It's uh, geektop5 at gmail.com. We also have our website, uh, geektop5.com. You can go there and comment on on posts and episodes. We can also be found on facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're also on Twitter, at geektop5. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear what you have to say. We'd love some reviews on iTunes if you are so inclined uh, to help other people find us. And I guess that's it for this week.
0: We'll talk to you again soon. Geek Top 5. Stay tuned.